I love a God story. I love God stories because they confirm the, the, the reality of God's promises. They confirm that the promises are true. God's stories confirm the reality of the spiritual realm and that we are walking in a spiritual realm in, in, in our lives. I, I love God's stories because they confirm the reality of the Holy Spirit in whose, by whose guidance we are walking. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I heard a tremendous God story. It was in our Sunday morning prayer group where we meet prior to services, and it was Kitts Parker shared a, a story. And Kitts, would you, would you come on up? And this is his second go-round today. He shared this in the first service. You just have this amazing story about your, your daughter and your granddaughter and a teacher. So go ahead. This is about my daughter, uh, Sarah, and my granddaughter, Reese. Uh, recently, Reese had gone through a little bit of turmoil at school because she wanted to get into some classes that she didn't get into and graduate a little early. But anyway, the, there was a teacher that, uh, that had given her something. I'm going to read the text that Sherry and I got on our family text and leave it at that. One of Reese's teachers gave her a doll last week. I noticed it on Tuesday, asked her about it, and we agreed to throw it away. It had been sitting on the kitchen counter. Multiple times I'd noticed that Blue, their dog, wouldn't walk in front of the room or the rest of the house or passing that, that counter where the doll had been sitting. I didn't think much of it. She's just weird sometimes. But yesterday, I laid a treat on the floor in front of the pantry if she would not go get it. She kept barking until I took it to her. She said, just now I cooked some steak and put a piece of steak in front of the, in front of the counter and I called her to come get it. She was in my room. She stood, she stood at the threshold and would not walk past that counter. I remembered the doll which the teacher had given her. It was a voodoo doll. I remembered the doll and I said out loud, Lord, I repent for having that doll in my house. I bind the spirit of the doll and cast it out in the name of Jesus. As soon as I said that, Blue freaked out as though someone had slapped her on the behind. Then she walked freely all about the house. Mm. Mm. So what do you think of that story? Like, just superstition? Just hocus pocus? I'll tell you this. If you go down the hallway to where our, our, our Spanish-speaking brothers and sisters are, they have no difficulty relating to that story whatsoever. If you talk to any of our members here from Africa, from Kenya, Tanzania, etc., they would have absolutely no difficulty connecting to that at all. And you would be rather surprised how many people there are in this room who have experienced things like that, the presence of evil. Now, 
I want to make a suggestion to you. If you dismiss this story and others like it out of hand, it's just possible that your dog may be smarter than you are. Let's stand and pray. Let's pray to the God of this supernatural kingdom of which we are a part. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Be seated. And I want to commend this service as I did in the second service. You all said, Amen. I'm rubbing off on you. Finally, after all these years, not Amen, but Amen. Who said that? <laughs> you know, it's um, the version of the prayer that has been on screen. I'm, I'm doing the King James. The new King James says, not deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. And so does the NIV. Deliver us from the evil one. Satan is real. Before the Lord's Prayer, he's already shown up in a big way as the antagonist in the story of Jesus Christ. Jesus has just been baptized in Matthew chapter 3 when we read this, the beginning of chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. From the get-go, from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, from the, be the beginning with his baptism, Jesus is face-to-face with a real personal enemy, and that real personal enemy is Satan. Before we even get to the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus comes through that time of temptation, he goes out and faces the army of the evil ones. Before the Sermon on the Mount, he has been out there with his men, and they have been casting out demons from people. And I just, I cannot tell you strongly enough, we need to take this, these truths really seriously. Amen. It has been said uh, that, you know, you, you can fool all of the people some of the time, but you can't fool, well, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people you can fool all of the time. But the question is, like, can you do that? Is it true that you can't fool all of the people all of the time? 
And I'm going to take issue with Abraham Lincoln here and say, you can fool all of the people all of the time if you're Satan. You can take a whole planet and fool them. The only way not to be fooled is to have God's Holy Spirit in you. The only way not to be fooled is not to be relying on yourself and your own human intelligence. The only way that you cannot be fooled is to be like Jesus, that he faces the devil with the Holy Spirit in him. And, and, and that's why he's able to overcome evil. Evil is not just a thing. Evil is a real personal spiritual reality. It is. Unbelievers look at the world, and they don't look at the world completely differently from believers, but they divide the world into good and bad. There are certain things that are good and certain things that are bad. But this misses out on the deeper reality. We're not in a battle of good versus bad. We're in a battle of the holy versus evil. It's the holy versus evil. It's, it's those who stand with God in his power and those who stand with another power. Evil is an alternate reality to the kingdom of God. And the evil one is very powerful in terms of deception. He always comes with doubt. Now, I've got to say, sometimes it's a good thing to doubt certain things. You know, like to not just believe any old thing. It, it, it's a good thing to exercise discernment, especially when you're getting too sure of yourself. But then there's a doubt that questions the reality of the kingdom of God. And that's bad. And that's what he does. It's what he's always done from the beginning. Like, did, did God really say that you couldn't eat of all of the trees? The fruit of all of the trees in the garden? Did he really say that? Like, why would he be holding back from you? Like, why would he want you not to have every good thing if you're the son of God if and, 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 and hey carpenter boy from Judea that's a big if if you're the son of God turn the stones into bread if you're the son of God throw yourself down from the temple pinnacle if you're the son of God, come play politics with me. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. These are the temptations that the evil one came at Jesus with, and these are the temptations that the church has always fallen prey to. Because the devil says it's all about power. It's all about power. It's always all about overwhelming force. It's always about making your will done. And just give me my due. But it's not about our power. It's not about our wisdom. It's not about our strength. 
It's about surrendering to the Holy Spirit and to uh, that heaven comes down because the Holy Spirit comes down. The goal of Satan is always the same, to rob you of your identity. Jesus, you're not really the Son of God. Uh, Eve, Eve, you're, you're not really in God's image. Our battle is not good versus evil. I mean, not good versus bad. Our battle is the holy versus evil. And it's personal. It's real personal. It's cheek by jowl. It's knife at your throat. That's what it is. Because he plays for keeps. And he plays up close and personal. And he knows exactly where to put the knife in you. And it may not be the same place as to put the knife in me. But he knows the place. And he knows how to do it. And you on your own, cannot defend that. It's personal. And you attack Jesus right after his baptism. What about you? Did, like, when did he really attack? Did he attack you after your baptism? Boy, he attacked me and a bunch of my friends. Man, they were getting baptized all over the place. I had friends got baptized four times. You know, I remember when he, he came at me, it was, it was within weeks. I was so sure I was saved. I mean, you know, yeah, I believe this. And then Satan came, and I didn't even know it was him. And I wasn't switched on enough to know, wait a minute, he did this to Jesus. Why wouldn't he do this to you? And he came to me, and he, he said, Ross... I've noticed that you're still sinning. Hey, maybe it didn't take, you know? You know? Like, why, why are you still sinning? I, Ross, I don't see a big difference here in you. And, 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 and hey, you know, I, you know what I think? You know what I think, Ross? I think it's because you didn't repent hard enough. If you had just really repented, if you had fully repented, like you, you wouldn't be where you are now. And hey, like another thing, you know, when you were baptized, like you, you really didn't know much. Are you sure you knew enough? You know, like you, you know, you believe, but what was it you were you were believing? You know, I don't know if that relates to any of you. But I'm telling you, like God's promises can be relied upon. And, and, and they do not depend on your perfect knowledge or your perfect repentance or your perfect anything. Because when God looks at you, he sees Jesus Christ. That's the perfection. That's the only perfection. Oh, he's a deceiver and he's a nasty deceiver. He's, an, he's just so nasty. Do you believe he exists? Yes. Have, have, have you ever caught a, like just a little bit of the, the sulfur smell of him? I have. I, more than just a whiff. You know, when a young girl comes forward in services and says, pray for me, my younger sister was 
has been the victim of abuse and none of us knew it and will you pray for her? I think to myself, that's the evil one. It's him. And I hate what he does. You know, and when someone comes and they've got, they've got cancer, or just, you know, like some horrible genetic thing going on or something, I don't think, oh, why did God do this? Our Heavenly Father is everlastingly kind. He, he doesn't hurt his children. He doesn't want anything bad for his children. It's the evil one. When Jesus shows up, he's healing people. He's healing people right, left, and center because he wants us to be healed. He wants us to be physically and spiritually whole. And that was always God's will. You know, I, I don't know if you've thought a great deal about evil. There are a couple of books I read back in the day. One was by uh, M. Scott Peck who was chief psychiatrist for the U.S. Army during Vietnam. And he wrote a book called People of the Lie. And in this book, he has case histories of exorcisms that he attended. And, you know, and he was very careful. He said, you know, th th there's a lot of mental illness out there. That it's, you know, it just, it's mental illness. But he said, like, there are some things where, like, the evil rises so high that you just can't explain it clinically. You can't just say, oh, well, we'll just medicalize this. Real, genuine evil. I remember reading that book, and, like, I think the hairs on the back of my neck were standing up for, like, the whole week from the reading of that book. And I followed it up. I followed it up with a, a book by Malachi Martin, a Jesuit Bible scholar who put together a book called People of the Lie. Not People of the Lie, um, Hostage of the Devil. And it was like case files from the, the Jesuit order, which is a very intellectual order in, church, in, in the Catholic Church. And I got halfway through that book and it was like, I, I, I don't want to look at this anymore because this is, this is too awful. It's too awful, but it's, it is all too real. It is all too real. And, and it didn't go away. Satan didn't go away. Satan didn't go away. He is, he is alive and he is well. And Paul makes very clear to us, he makes it so clear that our battle is holiness versus evil. He begins the, the letter to Ephesians. He says, Paul, uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's holy people at Ephesus. We aren't called to be good. We are called to be holy. And there's a difference. In Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, he goes on, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. That's how he begins. That's how he begins the story. 
that we are called to be holy in this world. That's the defense. That's the defense. And in the final chapter, it tells us that's where we're sitting. We're sitting with Jesus. We're sitting in the presence of God. And we're, we're coming out of, that, out of that power. And then he talks about the Christian walk. And then he talks about how we take our stand. And this is what he says in the final chapter, Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not a political struggle. It's not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, and it will always come, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. He uses three terms in there. He, he refers to powers, authorities, and world rulers. And each of those names are specific technical names for specific types of demons that would have been understood as such by the Ephesians. So these are not just like sort of uh, metaphorical kind of terms that we would automatically relate to. These are spiritual powers. And these are spiritual powers that fill the air. In the communion scripture, we, we read about the prince of the air. Yeah, right? Devil's in the air. The devil's in the air, all right. And there's only one way to stand against evil. You have to take your stand on holy ground. You know, one thing that every general learns is that choosing the battleground determines the outcome of the war. You know, you, you don't want to put your troops down in a swamp. You want to put your troops on the high ground. You want to make sure that you're coming from advantage. You, you want to make sure that you're coming with power and that you're coming with power right at the, de, at the decisive place. And so picking the ground... Picking the ground is absolutely huge. And what we are told here is take your stand on the holy ground. Like you'll be taken down if you aren't standing on holy ground. This is not a battle between good and bad. This is a battle between supernatural powers. This is a battle between God and pure evil. And this is a battle that has been won, can now be won, and will be won only, only in Jesus Christ. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you think you can do it on your own, you are dead meat. You know, Paul goes on in Ephesians 6, and he talks about the Christian and, and body armor. 
you know, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the feet fitted with readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And like there is a whole big sermon series right there. But I want to draw something out of this. The picture that Paul is painting here is of a specific type of warfare. It's not guerrilla warfare, like us all running behind the trees and shooting at the enemy. This is Greco-Roman warfare. Like this is what changed the world. Like this, this is close order fighting. Uh, that enabled the Greeks to conquer the world and then the, 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 the Romans to, to conquer everybody after that. It, it's, yeah, 60 pounds of body armor, sure. Yeah, it's, it's special shield and equipment. But the thing that made it work was that it was close order fighting. That you had each person shoulder to shoulder. That everybody was there like not just to win a battle, but everybody was there for everybody else. And, and, and if you're right-handed, they had to put left-handers in their own special group. If you're right-handed, that means that you are covering the blind side, the weak side of the guy to the right of you. And that's what he's describing here. He's saying we fight together. We stand together. Nothing gets through this. Nothing gets through this because each of us is there for the person next to us. And, and we are in a holy war. You know, the, man, I, I don't want to get too historical because I, I sometimes get hysterical when I get historical. But, but man, those Romans. Like he's describing a Roman soldier. At Zama in North Africa, they took on Hannibal and he charged them with elephants and Roman infantry defeated an elephant charge. I won't tell you how they did it, but oh my, my. And that's what, that's what Paul is calling us to. Saying whatever they throw at us, it's not, we're, we're gonna take our stand and having done everything, we will stand. You take your stand on holy ground. You stand together on the holy ground. But even together, even together we're done for. Ephesians 6.18 And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know, we do a, a lot of praying, and I, and I love it that we pray for the sick. And we've seen miraculous things happen in this church, praying for the sickness of people. But there's a lot more to us than our physical bodies. We, we need to be praying for where the enemy is coming right now. We need to be praying, where, where is he coming at you? What's he done to you? What's he doing to you right now so we can be with you? That we can bind up your wounds so that we can stand there and help you fight? 
because that's what Christianity is, or it's just a bunch of singing on a Sunday morning and we all go home. Remember the Lord's Prayer, that the Lord's Prayer says, Lord, deliver us from evil. There's something that you need to understand, even with all of us standing there shoulder to shoulder, together, facing the enemy, that it is God who must bring deliverance. It is the Holy Spirit who must bring deliverance. And when we surrender, he brings the deliverance. So, where's the enemy right now? I had a, had a good brush with him yesterday, and we prayed about it in the, in the prayer room. How's he coming at you right now? What's the victory that you need? What's the promise of God that you need to stand on? Where's the holy ground for you that you need to stand on this morning? Let's bring it. Let's pray. Let's all pray together. If you want to give your life to Jesus, come on, bring it. And we'll baptize you and you'll receive the Holy Spirit and the devil will throw all kinds of doubt at you. But you will know I'm saved. Saved by the blood of Jesus and saved by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Once you bring it this morning, whatever it is, while we stand and while we sing.